I'm Colin. And I'm Megan. And this is Pet, pet Sitter Confessional, Confessional, an open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Hello, and welcome to episode 17, where today we're going to talk all about pet sitter safety. Whether it's in your home or the client's home or your out walking dogs, we all want to make sure that we are safe and we keep our pets safe. So pet sitting is a primarily female-dominated field, which is pretty cool. Girl power. <laughs> and lots of us pet sitters do those drop-in checks or sometimes dog walks late at night or early in the morning. And so we want to make sure that we are safe doing those and that we keep the pets safe as well. And just part of the very basic part of that uh, safety when you're doing it at nighttime or when it's dark is making sure that others can see you. So if you are doing walks at night or in the dark, making sure that you have bright clothing on, reflective clothing. You can actually go and buy reflective tape that you could wrap around the leash handles or that you could wrap around a backpack or put on the harness or those kind of things if the dog doesn't have those already. And then making sure you're clothed head to toe in reflective clothing if you're doing things in the dark. You can also add lights to your equipment, your backpack, your hat, your belt, making sure that they are flashing lights, red and white lights, so that people can see you when you're walking. And also there's something called a leash light where you can attach it to your leash, and that would be a simple way to get a light on there too. Right. The more reflective, the more lights that you have, the better off you're going to be as far as visibility from drivers or other pedestrians. Also, being aware of your surroundings is always very important. While sometimes you may be tempted to be spending time on your phone, checking messages, or scheduling your next meet and greet, or working on the next appointment, doing, during the walk is not the time to be doing that. When you are entering a home, if you're doing a drop-in, make sure you get into the home first before you are become distracted by a phone or something else going on, so that you can continue to be aware of what's going on around you. Yes, so when you're doing a house setting or a drop-in, you always want to make sure that you lock the door as soon as you enter the house. And this can also prevent um, dogs from escaping too. I know one of the house sits that we had when we were just first starting out, uh, we hadn't really gotten to the habit of locking doors behind us. And this one dog that we came in and sat, um, turns out they could open up doors that were locked because they just had the latch handle, not the turn knob kind. And so he would just paw put his paw up there and unlock the door and open dog. it dog ran away and so we had to go finding a dog so locking the door behind you is both a safety mechanism as far as making sure nobody follows you into a home but also making sure that the dog or other pet doesn't get out another safety aspect is carrying the keys with you at all times especially when you're taking your pet out into the yard um, the door may accidentally lock behind you or you may have accidentally locked it and not known it and so keeping the keys with you at all times is a good way to make sure that you can enter the house whenever you need to. This is one of the things that I am constantly terrified of is being locked out of an owner's house because the door was locked. You know, that little knob, that little turnkey on the inside of a knob sometimes can get clicked, uh, even if you don't intend it to, and then the door shuts behind you and you have no way to get in. Uh, so that's one of my ongoing fears. And now I'm kind of obsessive about making sure I have the keys with me at all times or that I have a second way of entry back into a home if that does happen. Along with the keys, you want to make sure that you keep your phone with you at all times in case of emergencies. So yes, you'll also need to be taking pictures of the dogs if you are outside with them, but it's also a good way to, in case you do get locked out of the house, making sure you have that phone on you in case you need to call somebody. Yeah, and having those numbers all pre-programmed in there or in the notes app or written down somewhere else so that you can contact them if you need to. And speaking of using your phone while you're sitting, 
um, using it while dog walking. So yes, you want to take a picture or two, but you want to be very conscientious of where you are walking, especially if it's on a busy street or in a park where there could be other dogs. So while it's not a good idea to use retractable leashes while dog walking, you may want to use leashes that wrap around your waist for pack walking. I know some people use these and some people don't prefer them, but if you do use them, make sure that you are being safe with them, using them with the correct dogs, ones that don't pull lots or ones that aren't trying to chase after a bunch of squirrels. And while you're in a park or just walking around, making sure that you're looking around and looking for other dogs, as Megan mentioned, especially if they're off leash. This is a really common complaint that people have when they're walking dogs, or maybe just at a park trying to enjoy it by themselves, is that there could be a lot of dogs out running off leash. Now, this could be intentional because the owners think it's a wide enough space and they can just let the dog off and run. Or it could be unintentional. The high winds came in the night before and knocked down doors and fences and latches and stuff like that, and dogs escaped that night and are running around. This can become especially tense if you're walking a client's dog and an unleashed dog approaches you. So what do you do in that scenario? There are a few things that you can do to make sure that you avoid the dog fight entirely. So one of the first things to do is to start reading that dog's body language that's approaching you. Where are its ears pointed? Is it have the hair raised on the back of its neck? Um, how is its tail acting? Is it approaching in an aggressive manner, in a fast-paced manner? Or is it have its tongue out and it's um, looking happy? Uh, is it trotting towards you or is it kind of approaching you in a very tense manner? First, assess the dog's behavior before you take any other action. And then the big thing that you're trying to do here is distract. You're trying to distract your dog that you're walking, and you're trying to distract the dog that's coming close to you. So first, um, as, as walkers, we typically have a bunch of treats on us. Break out those treats. Start waving them in front of your dog's face to make sure that they, um, are not paying attention to the dog that's approaching. And then position yourself in between the approaching dog and your client's dog. Not to say put yourself into harm's way. But you are trying to break that contact, that eye contact, and that attention that the approaching dog has. You can try and put yourself behind a parked car, behind a tree, behind something else as a way of, again, breaking that attention span. If this doesn't work, you're going to start shouting at the dog in loud, aggressive, no, sit, go home, down, stop kind of commands. And then throwing treats at them as a way to distract them may be a really good way. Again, we're trying to break that focus. While you're doing this, you're keeping your dog close to you on a short leash. Again, another reason why you should never have your dog on a retractable leash, so you can maintain quick, fast, and constant control of them at all times. And you're continually trying to back up and move further and further away from the approaching dog. At this point, if the dog is continuing to approach, it may be time to break out some sort of deterrent. Citronella spray is a really great option that can act as an irritant to an approaching dog. There are some more commercial grades that are more like pepper spray, uh, but you don't really need those. But um, they they are out there that you can use and, and act on dogs as well. Some people also use stun guns. They carry a stun gun with them. Um, Also, personal protection, I've heard as well. And then, like Colin mentioned, a spray shield, um, a company called Direct Stop makes that. Yeah, and you may um, see also people out there walking with sticks, walking sticks, or kind of short sticks that you can use as deterrence as well to keep the dog a little bit further away than just putting your hand out. Now, unfortunately, if the dog 
if none of those work and the dog continues to attack, or maybe you lose control of the client's dog that you have going in there, a dog fight may break out. And at this point, you have to remember that you cannot and should not get in the middle of that. That's a really great way to send yourself to the ER very quickly. Although it's going to be your first instinct to reach in there and try and grab them away, you absolutely cannot that do that, especially by yourself. At this point during the dog fight, um, again, trying to break out the dog spray and spraying it on both dogs because now both of their focus is on each other and you've got to break that attention. So you're breaking that spray out, using it again. Um, We've heard of some dog walkers carrying loud air horns as a way of hurting the dog's ears. And again, all you need is to get one brief moment of breaking of attention to regain control, grab the leash, move them away and start getting more and more distance between you. Also, if you're boarding, so it's in your house, or if you're doing daycare, which is also in your house, you could, if you have a blanket close, you could throw a blanket on top of the, of the dogs that are fighting. Hopefully that will break their attention and allow them to stop fighting for a moment so you can focus back. Often your first instinct, once again, of yelling frantically and grabbing at dogs is just going to escalate the confrontation further and it is not going to help. Now if this if a dogfight does break out, obviously you need to be contacting the local authorities and reporting the incident of the off-leash dog and letting the pet owner know that it occurred and seeking proper medical attention and care right away if you need to. Even if the dog doesn't have visible um, outward injuries, you should definitely take them to a vet to see if they have anything going on internally as well. So if the dogs play too rough when they're in your care, or a fight breaks out, or you you potentially think a fight may break out, it's a good idea to take off the dog's collars so that they don't get tangled up with each other. But obviously, you want to avoid that as much as possible. So you're looking for possessive behavior. You're you know we always ask if the pets have a favorite toy or blanket or something to bring it over. Full with that because if they have a favorite pillow or a favorite blanket or a fellow or a favorite bone to chew on. They may be very possessive of that. So ask the owner, are they possessive of things? And if the owner responds yes, then you know that you should not be breaking out that dog's specific toys and watching for that possessive behavior so you don't get those kind of fights in the first place. So what do you do if a dog gets out of your care, whether it's by bolting out the door, seeing a squirrel on a walk, getting out of your grip? So yeah, if a dog runs away, Again, one of your first instinct is going to be to start yelling and running after the dog. And quite honestly, this is just either going to make the dog think that it is playtime and they should be running more and more, or uh, they are going to be very, very scared of a crazed person yelling and running after them, and they're going to run away even faster. So I've actually heard that running in the opposite direction works sometimes because it attracts the dog to where you are going. The dog thinks, oh, there's something exciting over here. Mm-hmm. This person is running that way. I will, go f- I will follow them. Of course, this doesn't work for all dogs. Some right. dogs just want to do their own thing, but this may work for some. Right. So here you're going back to getting treats out for the dog. And at this point, you can break out literally anything that you can think of that may entice the dog. So if you don't typically give a dog deli meats, now may be the time to break out the deli meats to attract the dog back to you. Staying calm staying together, not being frantic or or energetic and running after the dog, because you're trying to entice the dog to come back to you. Imagine what you do whenever you see a stray dog on the street. You don't go running after it going, here, Fido, here, Fido, here, Fido, frantically. Uh, No, you put on your sweet 
dog lovey voice and you try and get them talk to them smoothly and calmly and get them close to you as you can um here you're also needing to make sure that if the dog does do this you grab those treats you grab a leash and a harness some way to recapture the dog maybe even at a distance so you're thinking of ways to possibly lasso the dog preferably to get the dog close to you so you can grab the dog before it can further run away also some dogs really enjoy car rides and so thinking about safely getting your car close to the dog and opening up the door Mm -hmm. and luring with treats or your sweet voice and sometimes the dog will just jump right in right so obviously what you hope is to avoid these situations entirely so setting up a double entry if you have a door that leads directly to the outside setting a baby gate or some sort of barrier that the dog has to go through in addition to the open door and then making sure that they are well trained in their commands and that's really hard for pet sitters because we get pets of all sorts of behavior and um, training. Uh, yeah, all sorts of behavior and training in our care. And so while they're with you, you do need to be trying your best to be setting some ground rules. And that's hard. And you may not ever get to that point. Um, but having good conversations with the pet owner beforehand, do they bolt? How, if, have they gotten out before? When they got out, what did you do? And the scariest response, quite honestly, that I think I ever hear is when people go, eh, we just waited for them to come back or now nah, we just found them. Because that doesn't instill a lot of hope in you of being able to um, find them if that does. Making sure they're microchipped and have their identification collars on as well at all times when they're in your care. So then what do you do if you live on a busy street? Our street is somewhat busy, but really our main concern is the neighborhood cats and the squirrels that go up and down the trees all the time. Um, So we're really cautious to look out for them when pets leave our house. Particularly, we have a a client who has a a very large Great Dane, and he loves to chase cats. Mm -hmm. And so we're always conscious of the neighborhood cats that are around before he he gets dropped off and before he leaves our house. Yeah, it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck kind of situation when the owner is either picking up or dropping off of, we have been scouting the area for cats, been looking out for them, tried to shoo them away if necessary. And then we've even assisted the owner out to the car with the dog um, as a way of keeping more control over him so that he doesn't bolt. And it can be scary if you live on a busy street with lots of cars going back and forth. And so at that time, you are communicating with the owner. You are also assisting them, uh, maybe bringing the dogs in or taking them out so that you have more eyes on the road just in case someone gets out, someone can stop a car so that the dog doesn't get hit. Even the owner, for that matter, if they run out not thinking, trying to get after their pet. So really, it's all about knowing each individual pet. And this is why it's so important to have that meet and greet beforehand. What kind of questions do you ask at the meet and greet? Well, I think you covered some of them. Um, just really getting to know what scares the pet, what excites the pet, what they like, if they do like treats. Some mm-hmm. dogs are not food motivated. And so when, if they were to get out of your care, treats may not work for them. Do they have a favorite toy? And if they do have a favorite toy, ask them to bring that to you so that you can provide that for them. If, especially if they run away, you can have a play thing for them as well. But yeah, I think the follow-up question of, do they get scared? Do they get anxious? Do they bolt? And the next question is, what do you do about that? Ask the owner, how do you handle those situations so that you have a starting point? If they come back and they say, oh, we just let it go, or the dog just runs away and they come back or they don't, you know you've got some work and some thinking to be going on in there. But if they have a good, better response, you can be that much further along in the planning and safety pr- procedure. So part of pet sitter safety is not only being safe while you are pet sitting and while the pets are in your care, 
but before you pet sit. So if you feel uncomfortable at the meet and greet for whatever reason, you can say no. Like we always say, know your limits, know your boundaries, and you can say no to any client for any reason. Yeah. And that can be because the pet that they bring over doesn't get along with the pets that you have. It's behavior is way off. It could also be because the client weirds you out. And this, again, is very important of if you are by yourself, let somebody else know that's in your inner circle of where you're doing the meet and greets, what time they are, and when you should be done, and to do a follow-up call. Um, That may sound overkill, but you can never be too cautious with these kind of things. And if somebody is coming into your home for a meet and greet, same thing. Let somebody else know that that meet and greet is going on and approximately when do you think it should be done. Or if you are pet sitting with a significant other, then that significant other would would likely be there at the meet and greet. So Colin and I always go to the meet and greets together, whether it's in our home or at somebody else's home. If you can't have somebody with you at the meet and greet, even maybe just a person sitting in the car who may not be going in with you or even affiliated with the pet care, but again, if it's at nighttime or if it's in a new area or you're getting weird vibes from the person, if the if you get weird vibes from somebody, don't ever just go over to their home. Meet them in a public park and then maybe do a follow-up at their home after that if you need to. Safety is part of the preparation. So if you're doing walks, make sure you have the walks either memorized or in an app so that you can follow them so you're not getting lost in the early or late hours at night. And you, you communicate, again, you communicate those walks and those paths to people, especially if you have any sort of reason or just inkling of being uncomfortable so that people know where you are at all times. So we just talked about making sure that you're communicating to others when you are leaving your home, but also part of safety is knowing when you should stay home instead of leaving. Yes. So in case of inclement weather, snow or blizzards, you may have to cancel your pet sitting for that day or your dog walks. You obviously don't want to be walking dogs in a blizzard. And you may you may still have to go over and check on the dogs, but there may be a point where you there's six feet of snow on the ground and you can't get out. Thinking about if you are going to go by the, the school district cancellation policy that you're nearest to or what your cancellation policy will be if there is inclement weather. Yeah, you're talking about tying your cancellation policy to a school district's cancellation policy. So if the school district cancels, you automatically cancel because you know the roads are not safe enough for travel. Right. That's just one way to do it. You could have your own cancellation policy that has nothing to do with the school district. I was just putting it out there. No, right. But that it goes into thinking about, are the roads safe for me to drive? Can I drive in them? Do I have the vehicle for them? Where am I going? And what are the road conditions going to be like along my path? And having set cancellations policies already in order, because the dog, if the dog pees inside, that's much better than you getting in a wreck and being stranded on the side of the road. Nobody would want that to happen, regardless of what happens to the dog at that point. And some of what we just talked about is covered in our emergency preparedness episode, which Mm -hmm. was episode 15. So you can go back and listen to that for a lot more of what to do in an emergency. Another aspect of pet sitter safety means being armed with the knowledge about the pet. We had talked on this a little bit earlier, but knowing when and how much medicine they take, when and how much food they eat, and just their overall schedule. It's best to be consistent with their normal schedule as much as possible, and that's for the pet safety as well as your safety. Again, getting back to asking good questions during the meet and greet and listening for the kind of responses that you may get. You may ask, 
does Fido get along with other dogs? And they say, oh, yes, they get along with other dogs, except for really large ones. If you don't catch that last one and you have a very large one in your home the next day uh, and you're sitting Fido, you could be in for a world of hurt. And so, again, you're reading body language. You're listening to the owner's responses. So if you are a house sitter or if you're doing drop-ins on pets, you may want to consider removing your advertising signs or car magnets so that others aren't aware that you are there taking care of somebody's pet. It could act as, instead of advertising for your pet sitting business, it could advertise to others that nobody is currently at that home full-time and they may try and break into it. In addition to that, before the owner leaves, you can ask them to inform their neighbors that they will have a pet sitting service over or somebody checking on their house so that you don't get the cops called on you. Another safety aspect is dog proofing. So if you are in your if you are boarding or doing daycare in your home, you want to make sure that you dog proof your house. You want to make sure that you dog proof the areas in which the dogs will be, not having breakables on the floor. So when we talk about dog proofing, really we're trying to avoid a couple things here. We're talking we're trying to avoid direct injury to the dog. So the dog being caught or tangled in something like cords or high pile carpeting where they may get a claw or a dew claw stuck in. We're also trying to prevent them from chewing on objects, especially objects that they may try and swallow and consume. And sometimes that doesn't always go the best for them and they may start choking or have other serious side effects from that. Yes. So then you want to perform dog CPR. If you are not certified, you need to get certified. This is very, very important. So you want to When performing CPR, you want to cover the pet's nose with your mouth and exhale, then continue giving chest compressions for a cycle of 30, and then two rescue breaths, and then repeat that for two minutes. Yeah, and you can also perform the Heimlich on dogs as well. Um, You are going to be checking to see if if you can move uh, the object out of their throat in some manner, and then if the dog is standing, you'll put your arms around her belly and join your hands and make a fist, and then push firmly up and forward just behind the dog's rib cage, um, and hopefully trying to force that out in in performing an artificial cough effectively. There are other ways to perform the Heimlich if the dog is lying down, or if it's a small dog. But while you're doing that, or you're getting ready to do that, get ready to move the dog or seek emergency veterinary care if necessary. While we talk about being CPR and first aid trained for the pets, Make sure that you're first aid and CPR trained for humans as well. We had a client who last winter slipped on some ice right in front of our house, and she really damaged her back, um, and we had to help her get up and walk her to her car and take care of her um, after she had fallen. Another aspect of dog proofing is dog proofing your client's house. So again, that means moving any cords that you see that the dog could be chewing, any hazards, any plants that could be toxic to the dog or that they like to chew on. And while you're at the owner's house, if you plan on coming back over doing a drop-in visit late at night, make sure before you leave, when it's still daylight, that you turn on a nightlight, whether in the kitchen or on the outside of the house, so that there's some light in the area whenever you return and you're not having to walk up to the door in the dark. And make sure you have the key ready and you're not fumbling for your keys when you go up to the owner's front door. Making sure you're reducing and minimizing as many distractions as you can. And you're as prepared as possible. So that you can get into the door and get it shut behind you. I know all this stuff can sound very paranoid and very um, somebody's always out to get you kind of thing. But 
taking these small precautions right at the get-go can really go a long way to making sure that you and the pets are safe in the long run. Also, if you're transporting dogs, you want to dog-proof your car. When you're transporting your dog, you also want to make sure that they are secured properly, not just for their safety, but yours as well. If you were to get in an accident, yes, there will be a there is potential injury to a dog that is not secured, but also having a 60, 100-pound dog flying towards the back of your head that is unsecured whenever you have a front-end collision will not end very well for your spine. So a secured dog is a safe dog for both you and themselves. Also having the child locks on in the back seat, the locks and windows, because they could, they could roll down the window and jump out of the car. Yep. And I don't want to have to chase the dog after it jumps out of a window. That sounds like no fun at all. You always want to remember to have emergency contact information on hand, on your phone, in your wallet, somewhere in case something happens. If you have any additional pet safety tips that you think would be beneficial for us or other pet sitters to know, you can either go to our Facebook or Instagram page at Pet Sitter Confessional, or you can email us at feedback at petsitterconfessional.com. And we'd love to share that with our community and other pet sitters. Thank you guys for listening to episode 17. Next week, we've got Doug from Bad to the Bone Pet Care out of Florida. He's going to be talking about what it's been like running and operating a small business. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, please share them with your pet sitting friends or give us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate you. And you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss a new one. Thank, Thank you. you.